the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Libby Cooper, president and co-founder of Space Coyote, joining us today. Libby is, like I said, the president and co-founder of Space Coyote. She's an artist and established contributor advocate in the cannabis industry. And in just two years, she's led the company to be a top 20 pre-roll brand in California. Um, Welcome, Libby. I'm so excited to have you here. You've been in the industry for a bit, I noticed that you had some really great projects that you brought to success, and I'm just really excited about talking with you today. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I always like to start out with my guests on um, talking about the first cannabis experience. When was the first time you tried cannabis, and what was your impression? Um, the first time I smoked weed um, was a classic story. I think it's a story that many people share. Um, I was really young. I was a freshman in high school, so I was 14, um, which I definitely don't condone underage consumption, but uh, I know a lot of us did it. Oh, a lot of us are pretty precocious. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Um, And it was in the back of um, an older guy's car, and, you know, I think uh, it was actually my friend that's staying with me right now. It, it was her um, group of friends, and um, it was just so much fun, but also incredibly scary to be handed, I think it was a pipe, handed a pipe. I didn't know how to light a lighter. Someone else had to light that lighter for me, and I was shaking. It was this, um, you know, intense juxtaposition of my heart be racing because I thought something really awful would happen, but then equally my heart be racing because I was so excited and it was so cool, right? It was just this like incredibly mysterious thing. Um, I don't even remember if I got stoned or not. I think it's sort of relevant to the story, but it was more about, you know, that was my first time smoking weed and um, so many of my weed smoking experiences were in the back of someone's car and just being driven around <laughs> and that sort of like suburban mundane teenagehood that so many of us experienced. And um, it really did help my stomach though. I had terrible stomach pains um, and was very, very small. Um, I'm still pretty small, but I was like very tiny um, to the point where growing up, um, I was given all sorts of weight gain formulas and seeing different doctors and my parents were very concerned for most of my um, young life and uh, we'd helped. And it turned out later on, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So the dots started to connect and I went, Oh yeah, this is why it's a a plant medicine. And um, it, it took a while for me to actually come out publicly about my weed consumption, even to my parents, because you know, it's just so stigmatized. And now I, I'm talking about taking psychedelics publicly. So it seems like that was a long time ago to be nervous about talking about smoking weed. But yeah, a fair amount of people are still, still sort of shy about it. And you know, it's our job to just keep talking about it and hopefully change that. Yeah, well, I, I always say conversation is normalization, right? The more we have conversations mm-hmm. about it, the more people feel free to experiment. Because I know when I first started working in cannabis, it was something that 
I didn't necessarily share with everybody because we were we were still getting trained on what to do if we got raided, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, like the same people who were kind of like Sarah's lost her mind, she left the office and went into cannabis. Now are like, hey, can you talk to me about this? I'm kind of curious about trying it yeah. because of. You know, the, mm-hmm. the conversations that people like you are having about it. So it's it's making it okay for people to be curious. Yeah. What got you into the industry? And the movement? I got into the industry. Yeah, I got into the industry um, uh, because I identified that I really um, felt burnt out, you know, by my mid-20s um, already. And I was working in Silicon Valley and I'm very much in the startup scene and I just didn't feel very passionate. I didn't really want to be um, going into the office. And I thought, wow, this just, this can't be right because I've got the rest of my career ahead of me. So I identified that I was passionate about three things, dogs, gluten-free, which is a celiac disease and wheat. Um, and I think being sort of inherently capitalistic and, being raised, I actually, I was born in London, but was raised in um, the Bay Area. So, you know, I think just being raised in that environment, my mind was very entrepreneurial and I, um, I knew I wasn't going to make any money from dogs, (laughs) (laughs) specifically dog rescue. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, I started fostering puppies and that was my, you know, fulfillment in that passion area. But yeah, between gluten-free and, and dogs, um, Gluten-free maybe was going to make a bit more money, but weed just really stood out to me. You know, I thought, oh, my goodness, like, how incredible would it be to work in something that, that you know, I've loved for so long and seems so fun and cutting edge. And at that point, um, it was on the ballot to become a wreck, but it hadn't been passed yet in California. Mm, okay. um, and it was really at the end of 2015 that I was identifying this about myself and um, by the beginning of 2016, I made the switch. It was actually a, a lecture that I went to that really um, was the catalyst. I went to a design and cannabis um, lecture at Yelp's headquarters. It, it made such a big impact on me. It was a group of panelists, um, different designers from different companies um, that some of them have survived the past five years. Some of them haven't. Um, uh, as, as it goes, but uh, I really felt like every panelist was talking directly to me. I sat right in the front, right in front of the podium, and it was just this massive, like, call to actions. I, I felt like they were saying, Libby, go get a job in the cannabis industry, and it actually took me 12 hours after that to apply to jobs, and um, I was off to the races. Now, I noticed that you you did creative work for your creative director at Ease. Was that your first job? Yeah. Oh, what did what did you get from that? Like what were what were some of the what was some of the stuff that you took away from that that you'll just never forget? Um, I just learned so much. I had so much exposure to different cannabis brands. It was it was my first job in the cannabis industry and I was young. Um, you know, I was I think I, I got that job at like 24. Um, and I just, I just went in there guns blazing. I was like, I'm going to do this. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to, you know, I just convinced them that they needed to hire me and, you know, quickly 
um, climbed the ranks and um, yeah, I, I ended up um, having a really large budget. Um, so I, I was able to learn a lot about out of home um, advertising. I don't know if uh, you or your listeners remember there were just you know, suddenly tons of billboards all over the state of California and buses um, plastered with weed ads. And I mean, that was really me and my team. We just, we just put ads everywhere and we made ease a really, really big name and they had already done such fantastic work and it was really the heyday of ease. So it was so much fun. And I also got to work on their own private label line of products. So I was building brands, I was building customer, um, centric brands and working with the analytics team to really determine um, what customer buying behavior was. And all of that shaped my decision to ultimately leave the company to start my own company. You know, I saw the gaps in the market. I saw what customers were demanding and it became a no brainer. So when you, when you saw that, was it, what was your vision for Space Coyote? And actually, can you let our listeners know what the product is, too? Yep. So Space Coyote um, is a company that's all about exploring the psychedelic side of weed. Um, we really push the limits on potency, but also focus on deliciousness. Um, flavor should not be um, fallen by the wayside if you're going for a super potent product. And quality. Um so we make uh, infused joints. Uh, that means that we infuse them with hash, live resin, diamonds, which is THCA, which is THC in acid form. So it's a, it's a solid, and it actually looks like crystals. Um, and uh, we are just about to launch flour as well, so high-potency flour. It's not going to be infused flour. It's not moon rocks or anything, but um, we are launching flower as well and um, I'm actually on my computer screen I'm looking at photos of the flower it's beautiful um, but yeah it's it's a company about celebrating what it means to be a stoner I, I, going to that what what does it mean to be a stoner because that's it's that's something that when I was looking at your bio you were you were talking about that and just like celebrating that and there's there are so many there are so many different connotations around that. Like in our work, we celebrate that it's a culture. And then, you know, in greater society, maybe not so much now, but it used to be, there used to be some stigma around that. So I, I, would you unpack that for me a little? Yeah. So, um, I think that, uh, the war on drugs really <laughs> made it difficult to come back from, but, you know, today, uh, people, as I mentioned earlier, people are talking about taking psychedelics publicly. I think, yes, maybe weed was the gateway drug to conversations about other things, but it certainly wasn't um, the gateway drug into uh, substance abuse. I, I really think alcohol is that gateway drug. Alcohol is um, so dangerous. And, uh, you know, I think being a stoner is just, about enjoying life everything in life in my opinion is about pleasure you know whether it's power or money or sex or even relaxing meditation like it all comes down to human pleasure and our lives are so insignificant Um, we're just specks hurtling through space and 
um, you know, we're just here to love and um, to experience as much good things as possible without hurting ourselves and without hurting each other. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that celebrating being a stoner is just in that ethos of, you know, life is short and why not enjoy weed and enjoy the company of friends and family and um, listen to good music, eat good food. You know, there shouldn't be any one area that um, you have to hide because you enjoy it. And that that's really the distinction between us and, and other companies that maybe have that more medical focus. My co-founder, Scott, also has an autoimmune disease. Um, you know, I have C-like disease and, and he has Crohn's. And so both of our origin stories with cannabis are medical, but it's just not really part of the brand story. I mean, it's not, not really. It's, it's entirely not part of the brand story of Space Cursey because I think um, if you take that medicinal approach, it becomes very dry and very, I don't know, soul-sucking. And there's, there's um, a, so much kudos to be given to those medical brands that paved the way for a brand like Space Cozy to come onto the scene, which is really going back to sort of this like retro, but still futurism, futuristic looking perspective of um, where is this plant going to take us next? Yeah. It's a little bit of a tangent, but that's, no, I love it. No, I love it. You brought up some really, really interesting points because there is, I mean, that's, you know, I, I used cannabis for the first time when I was 13, like you. It was with older friends, and it was experimental and dangerous and exciting. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, throughout the years, I would, you know, use it from time to time. Nowhere near what I do nowadays. <laughs> but um, yeah. I got back into, like, I, I was able to see the medicinal side of it when I had cancer. And like you, I have autoimmune, I have Hashimoto's, and it really helps with some of the side effects with that. But there is something to be said for pleasure and euphoria. And it's an interesting thing with our society, because one thing that I've noticed as an educator is that people don't always equate euphoria with happiness and joy and comfort. There's a fear in it. And it really is a statement about our society that we have this stigma about enjoying things too much or um, there's always some cautionary tale about somebody getting too high and, you know, it's like, you know, Johnny got too high and this is what happens, <laughs> you know, Yeah. and we need to have more conversations about the fact that, you know, if you take your time with it and you're mindful, you can have a very pleasant experience and there's, there can be a more holistic approach about, yes, you know, there are properties about cannabis that help with symptom management but it also is a substance to enjoy and share and for people who like to to geek out on it a little bit more there's definitely more of a you can look at it from a more anophilistic standpoint as well and and so I really enjoy seeing you know more brands coming out that are joyful in it and creative and aren't necessarily hammering the medicinal aspect because there's a place for it but I think yeah. that you know it can be very sanitized and that doesn't yeah. capture the uh, capture the imaginations of people using it yeah agreed completely agree 
So with your your flowers, do you work with smaller farmers, or what's your what's your practice with that? Um, we use all sorts of uh, well, I should say we have used all sorts of different ways of um, sourcing flour. Starting off as a new company, it's um, it's challenging to enter um, this industry, and I'm so grateful that I had my previous experience because I think those connections really helped us at the beginning, whether it was um, knowing people who were cultivators, also knowing dispensary owners. So getting those first batches made and also getting into those first shops, it, it really, really helped. But then, you know, in terms of um, what we do now, so, so at the very beginning, we would source five to 10 pound batches from small family farms, usually up in Mendocino, Humboldt. Um, so we were doing what's called spot buys. We were, you know, piecing together really small batches and it's expensive and um, you're, you're constantly searching for the next um, batch of flour, which can be a full-time job, um, extremely stressful, but also really, really fun because you're trying so many strains and you're driving to so many locations and um, meeting so many interesting people. Cultivators are the most interesting people in the in the cannabis space, especially people that live deep in the redwoods. Um, so having such amazing dinners and conversations. Um, now we're we're a big company, um, so we're doing. Um, you know, more contract-based buying um, and growing. So we're actually contracting um, space in greenhouses where we're selecting the seeds and we're having our flower grown um, as on a, such a different scale. You know, we're talking about 600 pounds at a time now um, versus five to 10. Um, and then, you know, as we grow even bigger, my hope is that once we see federal legalization, that we can have um, cultivation operation here in California and ship to the rest of the country. But that we're probably a number of years away from that. But that's my ultimate hope. What are what are your thoughts on vertical integration in companies? Um, I really don't believe in vertical integration, um, nor does my co-founder Scott. We just think that it's. It's silly. You don't see that in any other industry. Um, for example, I always like to think of, you know, Apple is designed in Cupertino. I think now they say designed in California, probably because everybody is remote. True. Um, it's not. It's not made. It's not made in California. Equally, if you know products from Johnson and Johnson, um, any medical devices, you know, they might be designed somewhere in Europe, and they might be designed somewhere in America, but you know, maybe they're produced um, all over the world. My co-founder, Scott, um, he used to have um, a medical device company. Um, that's what he did before Space Coyote. And pieces of that product was manufactured in China, but equally pieces of it was manufactured in Spain. Um, but it was designed in, in San Francisco. So um, we really believe in experts. Um, in every area of the supply chain, we are experts really in brand and um, logistics. That's, that's our specialty. Um, we've created the product specs that customers really, really love. And um, we're able to produce 
uh, that product with, you know, pretty secure NDAs and <laughs> contracts at various manufacturers. So we actually, we have three contract manufacturers um, and I've already talked about the contract growing. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I know how to grow amazing weed. I've grown six plants in my backyard and it was a fucking struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> two of them ended up being this incredible harvest, but four of them did not make it. Um, you know, every, every area of the supply chain is, is so important. And um, we actually, uh, you know, heavily rely on our partners, but they also heavily rely on us. If we grow, they grow. It's mutually beneficial. Um, there's an entire ecosystem within the cannabis industry uh, that is, is beautiful. And so many companies went to vertical integration at first because of the licensing structure that the government set out. The regulations are incredibly complicated and so many people in the industry also weren't very professional. Um, and uh, it was actually easier to do it all on your own. Yeah. But, you know, times have changed, things are getting better. Um, and not to say it's just, it's because people from outside the cannabis industry getting in, I actually think that people within the cannabis industry have just learned over time. And there's so much collaboration. Like, why not take advantage of that? Right, right. I think with the normalization, you know, people, it isn't as Wild West, so people are a little bit more trusting to collaborate. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, you know, a lot of the wonderful genetics and everything that we've seen are the result of, collaborations in the past you know because people very talented people found each other but I think you're very you're very on to it when you you talk about you know identifying your experts because you can't be good at every single part of the work that you're doing when you're producing a product right and I think that that's one of the things that we've been seriously missing I think it's coming back but I used to joke that when we got into legalization that I missed good weed <laughs> yeah you yeah know. oh my goodness so you're gonna love this I'm a sativa diva so <laughs> it doesn't resonate with everybody but I really don't like smoking indica strains and today now that everything's a hybrid I've really been bummed out um and I I actually don't really buy um that much variety because I just don't find weed that I love. Like I love a really racy, true sativa, land race sativas. Like I, I seek those out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on this idea of, you know, collaboration, um, we're actually launching the Space Coyote Sativa Preservation Society in June, which is going to be um, a, a really special project, totally a passion project because true sativas are dying out because the growing cycle and the curing cycle is so much longer for a true sativa versus an indica um, that cultivators just because they had to um, and companies had to um, hybridize these sativas so that they became more of a profit, you know, garnering um, crop. Uh, yeah. So we're doing... The, these true sativas we're launching with some of the three original haze strains uh, with going to do some red Congo as well. But um, we have this Cuban black haze that's just absolutely phenomenal um, Ooh, coming down. Wonderful. And 
Yeah, it's so good. And uh, it's really, it's the difference between getting high versus getting stoned. Like, um, I think the sativa divas out there uh, will agree that they like to get high, not stoned. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking to mellow out. <laughs> right, right. But it's funny because I'm not, like, I can't even drink caffeine. Like, I can't do uppers, let alone, like, God, don't talk to me about, you know, and I think once in college, I tried my friend's Adderall, and it was just a horrible experience. But, um, yeah, something about, uh, you know, that, that um, I, I was going to say the word elevated, but I would roll my eyes at myself because I don't like that word. But I like that. I like the up. Yeah. Side yeah. Of and there's, there's a little, it's funny because, like, from a dispensary perspective, like, whenever there are some really good true land races in the store which doesn't happen very often because like you said you know everything's hybridized these days it people grab it because they really do miss that and i i feel like that's such an interesting project and it's really there's Mm -hmm. a definite need for it because people are really missing the really lifting sativas and I find that a lot of people also like them not only for like just getting through their day but I'm I'm doing I'm creating a new class um on athletics and cannabis and like I know people who say that red congo is like their go-to that they do before they go to the gym yeah that's amazing yeah it's great call it their morning cup of coffee you know (laughs) yeah well, what are some of your favorite sativas? Well, I mean, I'm talking about the Red Congo, and I, I, I've been seeking it out because it, it is my favorite. But I also, um, as cliche as it sounds, I like the original Blue Dream. I think Blue Dream has got a bad rap because um, it's just morphed into something that it wasn't originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm also, I'm doing a bit of, uh, hunting to see if we can grow some original blue dream because it's got a it's got a soft spot in my heart. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. That was actually the first. Uh, that and Dark Star were the two first flowers wow. that I bought from a dispensary back in the day, and uh, they were wonderful. Wow. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know if they grow Dark so Star good. anymore. So I haven't seen it in like five years, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting it at Vapor Room when they were in the hay. Mm. So I wonder if I wonder if Vapor Room Vapor Room's still around. Yeah, yeah. No, Martin Martin reopened, and I'm so happy that he did. And it was really a couple of years ago. I ran into him at an event, and um, we hadn't we hadn't officially met yet. And I I just went up to yeah. him and I thanked him because his his dispensary was around when I was going through chemo. It was my first dispensary mm-hmm. and they were a huge source of comfort for me. And I just, I just really like, I don't think people hear it enough. Like, you know, thank you for being there for me during one of my hardest yeah. times. Um, and it, yeah. was re- it was really nice to be able to share that with him because we, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of enjoyment with cannabis, but it's also such a personal thing and people really, they really rely on us for, you know, it's, it's an emotional thing too. Like if you see, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't, I, I work from home these days, but I spent eight years behind the bar and um, just, you know, it's, you're out of something that somebody depends on 
to, you know, create balance in their lives. And it's like, what? It's not here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, um, it, it becomes just like such a part of your life when you rely on it, especially if you're, you know, you're using it for pleasure, of course, but there's always that as human beings, we're constantly striving towards homeostasis. So even if we're using something for pleasure, it's still creating that balance. And when we have to go without, it can be, oh, you know, create anxiety because that's, that's what gives us comfort, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, as you've been seeing, you know, starting with ease and then your own company, what are some of the things that you've seen that have changed in cannabis culture, things that you've liked about it and things, and, 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 you know, we can talk about the stuff that you haven't liked about it as much too. I'm always interested to hear that. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, um, generally people talk about how, um, there are so many women in the space and, women executives and it's not something that I have seen um I'm definitely not seeing that um and it's I I, yeah I just want to call to action for more women to to join the industry at at that high level or for for women to feel like they can start their own companies um when I was uh raising money um for Space Kyoshi um for a for our round that we just closed on um, in December, January time, so quite recently, we didn't talk to a single female investor, and and that's not the canvas space. That's the you know the VC space, but that was really disheartening as well. Yeah, yeah, there isn't. Um, I I've always been surprised when there's been reports out about you know oh the cannabis space has more space for women than other industries because like you, that isn't something I've seen. I've seen that there yeah. are more women involved than maybe some other industries leading companies, but there's still not a lot. And, um, you know, I, yeah. I came from it back in the day where I worked with all dudes. And, um, so when I got into this space, I was like, Oh, it's going to be kind of the same thing. And I really, I really, really wish that there were more women in leadership, owning companies, doing things, especially because when in the 215 days, I really believe that there were actually more women who are active in the cannabis space, creating just like, and the the products that, this might make me sound sexist, um, but I just feel like a lot of the products are just much more thoughtfully created and curated uh, when you have you know, a woman at the helm or more women on your team making those decisions because it's just, there's just more thought put into it. And that's not to say that there aren't very thoughtful, creative men out there. There definitely are. But by and large, I've seen a lot more heart in products that have been brought to the market by women. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, completely agree. You know, it's not like, let's just throw this up against the wall and see if it sticks. (laughs) Women women don't do that as much. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, also on, on that subject, you know, Space Coyote is a brand for everybody. Um, I've wanted to make sure that it doesn't feel too masculine, though we definitely have more masculine, um, consumers. Um, yeah, I want to just make sure that, you know, if there's a female 
eccentric stoner that they reach for space karate because they feel included and um, any age and, you know, any demographic that, you know, wants to get super high and have a good time, like space karate is for them. And I think a lot of the brands that are in our um, direct competition space, um, they're very much for men. And it just, it never resonated with me. Yeah, I've never, I've never gotten the whole thing of like, um, I've gotten the impression that some people feel like, you know, edibles are more female centric. And, Mm -hmm. you know, smoking kind of goes either way, but it's more towards the guys. And then when you get into the concentrate realm, it's very male dominated. Um, And you almost feel like, I remember feeling like, oh, you know, dabbing and stuff like that. It was like something that was like, it kind of reminded me of, you know, my tomboy days where I was like running to like keep up with the boys. And um, there's, <laughs> I, I think that there's, there should be more conversations about, you know, not only women using concentrates, but we've had some amazing female hash makers in the space as well mm-hmm. and encouraging, you know, more creativity around that too. Um I just it's it's very interesting like how in this space there are certain areas that are considered like and it's not even really said it's almost just implied in the culture about what's a more male dominated mode of using cannabis and what is considered more feminine like you know topicals and tinctures and things like that seem to be you know more geared towards women whereas men and women can actually both really enjoy it and like I I run a compassion program um and a lot of times a lot of my male participants will be like oh I just smoke and I'll always throw some edibles in there too right and, right. <laughs> and I just got a letter the other day from somebody saying you know I'm really glad that uh that you did that because you know it's it's made it created the gentleman said that it created a safe space for him to be able to do some experimentation with edibles. It's something he wouldn't have chosen, but now he's not using his Ambien and he really likes it. You oh, know? Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So there's like, Amazing. I just think if we could, you know, it, it's about creating opportunities for people to feel safe, to experiment with things. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, even though, you know, it says some things were more male dominated, I think women are more apt to do across the board experimentation. I don't, I think men get a little bit more stuck in their, in their heads about what, what perception is of what you should and shouldn't use, not even with cannabis, just in general, really. I'm just what my, yeah. you know, my husband will have, oh, I just do this. And I'm like, try this. <laughs> just, just try it. Just yeah. See what happens. But when you're when you're thinking about women in the cannabis space, starting their own companies, looking for funding, what are if you were able to impart some wisdom onto them, what would you what would you say? Ooh. And I don't put could you on you, the spot. Could you repeat? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Could you repeat the question in a in a slightly different way? Yeah, absolutely. Um if you were, let's say you were speaking at an event encouraging women to, to get involved and take ownership in the industry, what are, what are, what's some advice that you'd give people that, you, that, you hadn't, that you've learned through your travels starting your own business that maybe 
people aren't aware of? Yeah, um, it's such a great question. I think I would, um, I, I would definitely say something along the lines of, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't feel ready. Um, there is no such thing as being ready. And also, if you don't ask, you don't get. So going into an interview and kind of bullshitting your way through, it takes a lot of confidence. And I think women are, um, as young girls, sort of groomed to, to be um, a little more unsure and, and maybe wait until um, they get, you know, a signal that it's okay. And I would just say that it's, you know, it's never going to feel like the right time to ask for um, the title that you maybe don't deserve. Um, but if you sort of blindly believe in yourself and, and you have a goal in mind, uh, you can get to that goal so much faster if you just go out there and ask for it relentlessly. You know, if, you, if you're convinced of yourself, the world be, will be convinced of you too. And you might have moments of the imposter syndrome, um, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, no one's going to be judging you negatively for trying. I think um, there's an opportunity to fail, but if, if you fail, it's, it's just proof that you tried. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people, especially women are afraid of failure because we've, we haven't, uh, we haven't been pushed to just go for it. And it's like, Oh no, you mm -hmm. have to have everything in a row. You have to be prepared. You have to have mm -hmm. a comeback for everything that they're going to ask you. Whereas mm -hmm. our, our male counterparts kind of just, you know, tunnel through there. They just go head first. And it's like, I, I, mm -hmm. I find it very, um, I, a lot of times I, I look at my male colleagues and I'll be like, I need to, there's a, there's a very interesting thing about being able to like learn from them yet be able to honor your, your, your nature of who you are. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a delicate balance, but it is, it really is like, I even got a coach the other year to <laughs> help me learn how to do business like a man. <laughs> That's great. Wow. <laughs> you know, because it's a language. It's a language and a culture. Yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I feel like, and it's not like, oh, we must remain feminine. But it's like, if you resonate with your being as being like, you know, on the spectrum of femininity, it's like, you should be able to honor who you are, but be able to be, forceful and make your dreams come true in a way that resonates for you and and I think that you know especially with you know the women in this industry having more conversations about this and working together and collaborating I think it can be really inspiring especially for people who are who are starting out in this work to be able to find their strength and their voice um, and to be able to really work in a way in cannabis that that feeds their soul and for some people that's, yeah. you know, help working with somebody else on their vision. And for some people it's creating their own vision, which is, which it sounds like yeah. you've had quite the trajectory in doing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And one thing I am thankful for is um, my co-founder and I actually alternate the CEO title 
um, every other year, just as a symbol of equality. Um, so I was CEO last year, he's CEO this year, I'll be CEO next year. Um, and our roles don't change. It's more about this concept of, you know, um, we can flip the script, you know, these, these sort of um, titles or rules or, you know, ways that have been set don't really mean anything. And my uh, real trade is design. So anything that you see of Space Coyote is uh, something that's come from my brain onto my laptop in Illustrator and sort of boom, it's out in the world. And, um, you know, my role as being that design person and the brand visionary of Space Coyote doesn't change whether I'm the CEO title or not. Um, equally, he's very much deep in the supply chain, so operations, financial, legal. His role doesn't change if he's CEO or not. And um, it's, yeah, I think it's just this time where we can all be doing things that are a little unusual. And, and you know, I mean, I, if we go down the climate change route, that's going to be a whole nother hour. But I think we all need to change our behaviors as well. Um, when it, when it comes to thinking of um, helping people all over the world, because uh, when it comes to environmentalism, it's really about, about people. And um, when it comes to business, you know, it's really about people and um, community. And, you know, we, we need to be doing things that are a little unusual uh, to change human behavior across the board. Yeah. I really, I, I think it's really interesting what you're doing with the CEO position because it seems like that really evens out the power dynamic and almost takes away some of the the implied uh, how would you say it like you know because it's like when somebody's a CEO they're the boss and that's that and if you're going yeah. back and forth on yeah. it it's like it, it keeps that in check where you're you're a team yeah I I love that yeah. and I think that working like with I think cannabis has this unique opportunity to be able to change the way we do business across the board, like how tech back in the day and still does really influences other forms of industry. Like I remember being surprised working for my first software company about how casual everyone was, but still how hard mm -hmm. everybody worked. So it was like proving that, yeah. You know, and when I worked for like, you know, a, a big four accounting firm, we all had to be very buttoned down. And I was like, hmm, but in tech, they're more casual and they're more efficient. They get more things done. Here yep. we're worried about processes and buttoned down in the hierarchy and we're largely inefficient. And with yeah. cannabis, we can look at what does compassionate capitalism look like? What does equity look like? What does, you know, striving for, you know, making sure that we're not letting genetically modified plant materials into our industry, just the, the different practices that we can have, you know, holistically that can actually leak out into other industries when they start to see how successful we are and just like sustainable transformational leadership and ways to do business that actually create abundance for the individual starting the companies, but it also echoes out into the world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I completely agree. That's that's the stuff that I, I get really excited about, but it also is the stuff that is a constant process because, yeah. you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of different ideas of, of how business should be done. And, um, but I think that one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that there are so many lovely people working in this, in this field that do have a lot of heart and do truly care. Um, and we just need to make it easier for people to do business so that we can also concentrate on having that positive impact because it's kind of hard in some ways too. It's kind of like, you know, when they, you're in the airplane and they tell you to put your, your air mask on first before helping somebody else, yes. you yeah. know, and there are so many people struggling. So we have a lot to do with reform to, to be able to help people get, you know, an even footing or an equal chance at success when there are so many talented people out there that just, you know, are feeling discouraged with, yeah. you know, creating businesses or succeeding in the businesses that they've been working on for so long. But looking into the future, what are some of the things that you're excited about and that you're and and I I know there are some things probably that you've got in the hopper that you're not free to talk about right now. But, you know, what are some of the things that you're excited about? What are some of the hopes that you have for the future of the industry? I'm really excited uh, to go multi-state. Um, that's going to happen for space charity well before federal legalization happens. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into New York, Florida, hopefully Arizona, um, these places that we've identified as really important. Um, I think it's uh, this challenge of deciding, you know, how much focus do you put into your home state, in our case, California, versus then spreading yourself a bit thin and going into another state. But it's really just a matter of time until that tips over into, you know, we, we've got to go. We've got to, we've got to do multi-state. It's, it's now's the time. And um, COVID was the reason we didn't do it last year, that we were fully geared up to, to go in 2020. But um, honestly, like we did so well during COVID that it actually turned out to be okay. But um, another thing that I'm really excited for is to see how this um, flower does. We're, we're about to launch this new product category, and it's, it's the best flower that I've ever seen um, and ever smoked. So I'm just really excited to see what the public reception is and, and where it takes the company. Yeah, when are you releasing that? Do you know? Um, it should be on May 21st. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Are yeah, you... fingers crossed. It's, it's all going to go well. Are you going to have some indicas? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Sativa Preservation Society is totally separate. That's in June. Um, this is this is like space county flower. And um, yeah, it's going to be. It's, there's a lot of indica, which is fine. <laughs> it's amazing. I shouldn't say, ah, it's fine. No, it's, it's good. I have really to say, like, I, I do appreciate some sativas, but I am... I am a person who can smoke Granddaddy Purple in the middle of the day, <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I have a I have I admiration of oh <laughs> I was just gonna say I have admiration of the sativa divas because I I end up like a deer caught in the headlights just staring at you like right. I don't want to say anything because I'm going to be really I'm gonna say something stupid. 
Right. Yeah. But it's, you know, that's, that's why it's good to have a variety of flowers. And I just really like, like I was just thinking about, um, the red Congo when we used to have jars and we would wait to order and people, I would always tell people to follow their nose. And that was like one of the most polarizing flowers that were on my menu. People either loved it or hated it. Yeah. It's like, and if they liked it, if, well, I should say if they loved it, because it really was that polarizing, they couldn't get enough of the aroma. And if it wasn't for them, they would, they, they, the aroma did nothing for them. And I used to tell people, you know, mm-hmm. because they have those such unique buds on red Congos, that big, fluffy, crispy, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they're like puff balls. And people be like, yeah. but it's so beautiful. And, you know, this person next to me is saying how much they like it. I should at least try it. <laughs> And I'd always tell them, okay, buy a gram and come back and tell me what you think. (laughs) Because it is so individualized. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, there are some, there are some strings I want to just wear as cologne. I have a, I have a sample of uh, Gelato 33 right now and it smells so good, but I'm not sure. I'm like a little nervous. It's definitely pretty heavy and I'm a little nervous to, smoke it at the wrong time of day but it smells so good oh I love that one that is a really good one there are and there are flowers that you know I don't see anymore that I wonder if we'll ever see again like some of my my favorites in the past you know we're more on the indica side of course but like um like Ingrid and cashmere and like just yeah you know Uh that those old for people who have been working with this a lot longer than me they'd be like that's not that's not super old Sarah but for me it was like you know those were the ones that I cut my teeth on and (laughs) it's like yeah will we see these again and and I that's why I think that your project you know with the sativas is so important because we do need to you know reclaim and preserve a lot of the genetics I mean yeah I've had people you know clients who have said you know I I used to grow back in the day and I found these, you know, seeds of like, you know, Panama red and Colombian gold. What do you think I should do with them? And I'm like, pop them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pop them yeah. and, and then mm-hmm. make some babies and share them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And I just like, I, I just think that, you know, um, well your project that you're starting in June um, with the sativa preservation, is there how do people become involved with that or what would they do if they were involved with it um i mean just buy it at the dispensary we're we're selling um we're just going to be selling the flower into dispensaries that's awesome that's awesome you're gonna have a lot of excited people around that especially I, i i love that coming back and i've been noticing that people are also getting into pressed hash again which like I mean yes they are I love Uh that because we every so often we would get somebody who would you know vend press hash and we would get it in the store and especially for people who had been smoking in like the 60s 70s and 80s like their eyes just start to sparkle when they see like you know a traditional like Lebanese hash um and that's I sit have you checked out Sitka at all no, I haven't. So they're out of Washington, and Garden Society 
is going to be distributing them in California. And they do a press mm-hmm. Lebanese hash. And they have, um, I looked on their Instagram the other day, and they have a hash cloche, which I'm fascinated by. Yeah, it's this beautiful wow. little, like, wooden base. And then it has the... Um, the pin to put the pressed hash on to fire it up. And then you have a glass cloche with a little glass stopper on top. And it's really elegant and beautiful. And it's, I wow. love seeing these things. You, you need to check it out. And you have to tell me what you think. Because I was, I totally cool. geeked out on cool. it. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> there's like. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. Because I love like all the neat new stuff that people are coming up with. But I love the fact that like people are bringing back some of the old ways to consume in but you know d- doing it in such a an elegant way uh, it's just so beautiful it's like that's that's some of the stuff that I love with like I mean I love geeking out on the medicinal side, but I also love the aesthetic of like the flowers themselves and the implements to consume and I just remember back in the day, like everything being so kind of clunky and just like seeing all the beautiful design that's coming out of this and the creativity. It's so Mm -hmm. inspiring. Yeah. So much creativity. It's amazing. Yeah. And speaking of creativity, because I know you have social media, how if people wanted to follow you on social media, how would they do that? Yeah, so um, you can find me at Libby Cooper on Instagram. Um, and uh, we've got a Space Charity Instagram, though it is new because our previous one was uh, disabled by Instagram. Classic story, right? Oh, yeah. Um, that is, yeah, it sucks. Um, so the new Instagram account is Space Coyote Official. And we also have um, a TikTok, uh, the Space Coyote we've got a Facebook page, which is Space Coyote Nation. Um, every uh, week we do a live stream on the Herb channel on Facebook and, you know, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people watch that. And it's so much fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely online. Uh, we're constantly shifting around because of those silly you know, regulations, everything comes down to the fact that it's not federally legal. So these platforms are constantly trying to catch you. But yep, Space Coyote Official on Instagram would love, would love, love, love the support as we're building up the account again. And um, you can also always check out our website, which is spacecoyote.org. Oh, that's a beautiful website, by the way. I, I, I checked oh, it out. You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And for our listeners out there um, who want to follow Planted with Sarah Pion, it's we're on Instagram and Twitter as Planted with Sarah. Facebook, it's Planted with Sarah Pion. And then our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. Of course, you can always listen to episodes on Radio Misfits Network, our parent network, and this podcast is available on Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts, we will be there. Um, We are at two episodes a month, so please check in for our next one this month. 
And Libby, thank you so much for being on the show today. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. And it was just so nice to meet you. I am. Um, so great to meet you. I can't wait till this, all this pandemic stuff is over and we start to have some in-person events and I hope to be able to run into you at those. Yes, you definitely will. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, for those of you out there who are listening in today, we'll see you next time. And until then, take good care of yourselves. Stay curious. And it's a little bit of a crazy world out there. So be good to one another. It takes all of us to take care of all of us. So until next time, adieu.